tape last week was kind of goofy. We had to really struggle. I told my my wife and other people that uh, uh, if you really put your mind to it, you can probably get what was said, but it takes a lot of effort you know, and it makes you concentrate. So I borrowed the title. Uh, I don't know the man. Uh, I've heard a couple sermons from him. And the title of it was, What Are You Willing to Die For? Just what is it that as a human being you are willing to give up your life or your everything that you do for? Is there anything that you would trade away for your life? And um, I, I don't have the, the same people that he used, because uh, like I said, I didn't hear it all. I want to start out with, uh, we have to live by the Ten Commandments, don't we? And uh, one of the things that we find that society, Christianity here in this country, uh, they, they'll say they keep the Ten Commandments. Well, they keep the Nine Commandments, or the Eight, depends on who you are. Uh, we slaughter babies now when they're born because we want to have a, a, a part for somebody else we can sell. We can, you know, we can let them live a day or two or, or just kill them when they're born so they can take the liver, you know, and plant that in somebody else. So if they have a, a need, that's when they'll take out the baby. So it's a sad state of affairs. So when you think of the Ten Commandments, are you willing to die for the Ten Commandments? Well, we know that one of the commandments that the majority of the people in this society, in this country, will say that's keeping the Sabbath. And sometimes we can fudge on the Sabbath. We can fudge on other things. We can fudge on the First Commandment. Uh, most society does. They have their car and their boat and their train and their their plane and you know even in society today we got the rich who say don't build a wall but they have to have their wall and their guards um, they don't want us to have cars or or uh, planes and yet they use cars and planes to get from wherever they live to to the headquarters so. It's kind of a sick society. So the Ten Commandments have to be uh, first and foremost in our life. And are you willing to die for that? I want to go through and give a few examples of people. Not all of these people you'll find died, but they were convicted in their belief. So convicted that if it required it, they would give up their life. The first person I want to bring out is recorded in Second Chronicles 18, 3 through 25. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to tell you this is where it is. Um, it behooves you to take and study it. Read the whole thing. Take your time when you read, because I'm going to give you, I'm going to go through part of it and pinpoint some of the things about uh, this person, and then let you 
throughout the week, go back and see if what I said is true. You know, got to, we have to be like the Bereans, you know. The, the Bereans were a group of people that were preached to by Paul. But then they went and studied it to see if what Paul said was true. Because if we know that we can exaggerate or we can add things, but is what, what we're preaching the truth? So you have to be a Berean in this case. So the, the scriptures you're going to have to want to read here is 3 through 25, but we're not going to read, I'm not going to be like there and read every word because I, I don't have that much time here. The man's name is Micaiah. It's sometimes people want to say it's Micah or it's, uh, there's actually three people whose name translated to Micaiah here in the, in the Old Testament. But Micaiah was a man who was a prophet during the time of Ahab, king of Israel. Or, yeah, he was king of Israel. Cause, yeah. Anyway, his name means, who is like God? So the interpretation of Micaiah is, who is like God? Micaiah was a, a prophet, like I said, uh, in Second Chronicles 18, um, verse 3, King Ahab of Israel and, and King Jehoshaphat of Judah were, uh, went, you were to go into Ramoth Gilead and answer him and I, he would, here it was, they were about to go to war is what was happening here. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, uh, before we go to battle, we need to get God's word. So, in the story, King Ahab called his prophets. You'll, you can read that down in there. You'll see where he called the prophets together. He called 400 men, uh, prophets of probably Jezebel and probably his. And he asked them, should we go to war? And the prophet said, oh, yeah. Come ahead. You're going to win. God says you're going to win. Now, there were 400 men said that. But king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, said, is there not a prophet of God available? Well, well, Ahab said, well, yeah, there's, there's a guy. But he hates me. Never gives me any good. See, I'm paraphrasing. I want you to read this later, see if I'm right. He paraphrases. He said, yeah, he just hates me and he never kills me anything good. You can imagine, here's the king practically crying because he, he wants to go to battle. So, the king of Israel, of Israel sent his, one of his leaders under him to go and fetch him. Now, you have to understand, they must have known where he was because here they were out there ready to go to battle and they wanting to know, is there, is there a prophet? Well, yeah, there's a prophet. Uh, we're going to have to go and find him. No, he said, go and get him. So he must have known where he was. 
So they went, sent the man. He brought, got a hold of Micaiah. And the man that brought him out said, Now here's what happened. 400 men have already said, You're going to win the battle. So you have to go in there in front of the king and tell him he's going to win the battle. If you have to go back to chapter 18, I mean 17, and read the story and find out why this was going to happen, God was working everything out. This, God has his hand in everything. Anyway, they brought Micaiah to the king, and the king said, Are we going to, will we win the battle? Somehow, in whatever Micaiah said to the king, the king determined that he wasn't telling the truth. Because Micaiah said, yeah, go out there and win. How he said it, whatever way it was, the king recognized that it wasn't the truth. And the king told Micaiah, you have to tell me the truth. And so you read on through the story and find out where Micaiah said, you're going to go to battle, but you're not coming back. <laughs> and the troops are all going to go to their own homes because they're going to lose their king. So, being the king, he was upset. He said, take him back to the prison. So when I say they knew where he was, he was probably, most likely, in prison. And so they took him back to prison. And if you go through the rest of the story, you see where Micaiah was put in prison and fed on the uh, on probably bread and water or whatever. It's a, a very low diet, uh, a punishment diet. But the point of the story was that Micaiah would not bend. He believed God, and he was ready to die for his belief. And that's what wound up happening. So, Micaiah, they, they brought him in there and he said, I can only tell you what God wants me to tell you. And when I think of myself so many times, if I committed, convicted like that, that I can only say what God wants to be said. So that's why when I'm studying this thing, I began to look into that and think, what do I fall short on? The second person, you all know the story here too. Uh, you didn't know the first story, but you probably know this story. It comes from Esther. Esther was a Jewish girl. The queen of Ahasuerus didn't comply with what the king asked, and she was put away, and she had to find a new one, so Esther was made a king. So the first person of the story of Esther is Mordecai. Mordecai was in the king's um, graces. He was in their counselor type. This is in Esther chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, or 2 through 5. And you see where Mordecai uh, was there, but we have to go to the first part of that story where you find that the king made 
Haman next to him. So it was the king. When you realize in the story, there was the king and there was Mordecai. I mean, uh, Haman, rather. So there was the king and Haman, the two of them. So he had a lot of authority. And in the in the realm there, uh, the king was bowed down to, and so was the man right directly under him. And so when you read through the story, you find that Mordecai commanded everybody to bow down to him. I mean, Haman. I'm sorry, I'm getting you mixed up. Haman. But Mordecai believed God. He followed the Ten Commandments. You have no other gods before me. And you don't bow down to other gods, nor you worship other things. So Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, and that made the man furious. And the situation came where Haman got the king, persuaded the king to uh, kill all of the Jewish people, commit genocide. And that made Mordecai really cry. He hollered and screamed, and you know, he hollered and cried to God, and he fasted and he prayed and he put sackcloth on. And because he put that on, he couldn't go into the king's chamber, into the king's court. He had to stay outside the gate. But he was at a position where he was giving his life for his belief. He could have been killed at any time. You'll see where Haman went through and ordered all the Jews killed. The next person, so so I want you to show you that Mordecai didn't bend. He wasn't going to bow down even if it meant his life. So the next person even there in Esther is Esther herself. Chapter 3, verse 8. And Haman said to the... You know, this is where he went to and Adam ordered. Then Mordecai first... Uh, let me get to that. We're in chapter 3... Um, verse 11. Uh, verse, let's go, let's start there in verse, uh, chapter 4. In verse 1, we see where Mordecai perceived that all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city and cried and aloud with bitterness. And it, and came even before the king's gate for none might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And Mordecai told all that had happened unto him, unto the sum of the money even that Haman had offered, promised to pay the king treasury to kill the Jews. So he related that story to Esther. And the king's servants and the people of the king, verse 11, of the province, do, do know that whosoever were a man, woman, shall come to the king unto the inner court, who shall call there is none none but one law of his to put on him to death, except such as whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have uh, not been called. This is Esther. Is what Esther was telling 
Mordecai. Because Mordecai told Esther, even because you're the queen, you're still a Jew. And if you look back, you can see where Vashti was put away. So Mordecai told Esther, part of the story before that, that she had to go and help her people. And if she didn't, God would work another thing out. So I read this part here because Esther was telling Mordecai, I cannot go to the king. Not unless he calls me. And he said, I have not been called to come in front of the king for 30 days. So she hasn't been called. She's been away from him for 30 days. So she just couldn't go. And Mordecai's words, and Mordecai commanded and answered Esther, said, Think not with yourself that you shall escape the king's house more than all the other Jews. For if you altogether hold your peace at this time, you shall their engagement and deliver, raise the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house shall be destroyed. And those who whether, um, those, and who knows whether you will come to the kingdom in such a time. Then Esther bid and returned Mordecai's answer. So she re-answered to Mordecai. Let's see where that was. What it gets... Uh, I've got too many papers. I've got to find the right one. I should have had this opened up. Because it was important, this part, where Esther showed that she would... Let me go there and find that. The book of Esther. Verse 16. I've got it written down someplace. Anyway, I should stick to my notes. (laughs) Esther. I know Esther's in here somewhere. Verse 4, chapter 4. Verse um, verse 15. Then Esther bid them to return and to Mordecai, Go hither unto the Jews are present in Shisham, and fast for me, and neither eat nor drink three days and three nights, and also my maids and I will uh, likewise, and so I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. I want to show you that here's a woman who was so dedicated to doing her, uh, to her, her way of life, Sometimes we call it a religion, it's a way of life. That she said, if I've got to do it, I'm going to do it. And if I die, I will die. So Mordecai was willing to die, and so was Esther, for what they believed. One other person there. And find the right page here. 
is a, a lady whose name is Rahab. Rahab was a lady who they call her a harlot, but she probably was a she had an inn and she housed people. And it's Joshua chapter two, verse one through six. Joshua chapter two, one through six, verse one. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into the harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So here it's showing that she had a lodging. So she was a harlot, but she had a, a house that she put people up in. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came two, there came men in hither tonight uh, of the children of Israel to search out a country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab. Well, he knew that she had an end. He knew she put people up, saying, Bring forth the men that they come to hither, which are entered into the, your house, for they be come to search out the country. They were afraid of these people. They'd heard what had happened throughout the, their lifetime. And so he wanted them to get rid of them. And the woman took the two men, Rahab, and hid them and said, There come two men unto uh, to me, but I wish not whence they went. Here Rahab was telling a story. She didn't tell him the truth. And it came to pass about the night, about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, and whether the men went, I want not, pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. So, here, she told a story. Her life was on the line. And because she did that, because she was willing to give her life or put her life on the line, God protected her, her family, and she wound up being in the life of Israel as an important person. So what does God want from us? There are several things about us as human beings. I know I, know I got these... Uh, Stories of free, uh, so many people, and there's many, many more in the scriptures of people that were willing to die for what God gave, uh, gave them, or their, what they believed in. But there are things that we as people make the wrong choices in. Sometimes we choose the right things, as these individuals here, and sometimes we choose the wrong things. And God doesn't want us to choose the wrong thing. So I have three points to show the wrong choices that we could make and that we often make in the uh, process of time. The first thing that we change, that we make, the first wrong choice is we make self-justification. We want to justify everything we do 
except follow like Micaiah or Mordecai or Esther or many other people in the Scriptures. So in it, this case, I'm going to show you one man who justified himself two times. And the end result, he lost his job because he, he didn't follow what God said. This was King Saul. Saul was a Benjamite. He was uh, made king over Israel. He was, he, he was, and when he was made king, he was humble and meek and, and he followed God's direction. But there came a time in his life when King Saul didn't do what he was told to do. So turn to 1 Samuel 13. And we'll see what happens. 1 Samuel 13, verse 9. Uh, I'm not going to go back to the first part. They went. They were given the command to go out and kill the Amalekites, and they didn't do that. Well, they did, and they didn't. So verse 9, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering. Oh, this was before that. This is the first. This is the first time they were to go to to battle. King Saul had asked um, Samuel to come and cause a sacrifice. Uh, Samuel said, "Okay, I'll be there at this time," and he didn't show up exactly at the time that the king expected. So the king, and we'll see that later in here. And King Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and a peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass. Now here, Samuel was supposed to do the offering. But the king stepped in and did it himself. And as soon as it was passed, as soon as it came to pass, at the end of the offering of burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Saul said, What have you done? Saul knew he wasn't supposed to do this. So Samuel said to him, What have you done? And Saul said, Justifying himself, he said, Because I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you came out not within the days appointed, and the Philistines gathered themselves uh, together at Mishmak. Saul jumped the gun. He, be, he justified, he was afraid, he justified his actions. Verse 12, Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now. This is his justification. Now, this is why I did this. Now, I was afraid, and this is exactly why I had to do this. The Philistines will come down now upon me in Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. I forced my, He justified his actions, which were not right. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. 
You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now would the Lord have established your kingdom upon Israel forever. God made a decision there because he didn't follow the directions as he should have. And here Samuel said, Now God was going to establish the kingdom under you and not as he did under David. He would have been under Saul had he followed it. But Saul didn't do it. So Saul should have been put away there. But you find in the story that God gave Saul a second chance. Sometimes, if we mess up the second chance, there's no third chance. (laughs) If we have given a job to do, if we don't do it, it's possible if we repent that God will give us another chance. But if we mess that up, that's it. God is not going to be mocked. Now in chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 2. And here we see the second chance that that Saul had. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel and how he laid waste him in the way when he came out of Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly, notice this, the command that came from God was to utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, creeping things, camel, and ass. That was a command. Sometimes we're given commands too, and sometimes we don't want to follow those things. Here was a command. And we jump down to verse 7. And Saul smote Amalek, the Amalekites rather, from Hebat unto you came to serve. That is over against Egypt. In verse 8, And he took Agag. Now wait a minute. Was he not commanded earlier to destroy everything? So he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So he kept Agag, but he got rid of the rest of the people. And that did not please God, because he was supposed to destroy it all. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and the oxen, and the fatling, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and uh, refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Now what was the command? Here we see that Saul was commanded to do something, but he's now saved the king, and saved a lot of the animals and the good things of the land. Let's go down to verse 14. Then came Samuel. and Now comes Samuel along and said, what he already, in 13, I think he said, uh, Samuel came and, and Saul told him that we have accomplished what the Lord said. 
Then Samuel said to him, What means this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the howling of the oxen which I hear? The question. You were told to do what? Totally destroy everything? How come I'm hearing these noises? Shouldn't have that. And Saul said, Oh, they have... They. He's justifying himself right here. He's blaming the people, the soldiers. I didn't do it. It's not my fault. Sounds like in the Garden of Eden. It's not my fault. Um, the snake did it. Well, my wife did it. It's the same old trick. And Saul said, uh, let's see. And Samuel, and Saul said, the people, uh, they have, the people then, uh, from Amalekites, for the people spared the best. My troops spared the best. And of the oxen and the sacrifice, and the, uh, to sacrifice, to the Lord God the best the rest we utterly destroyed so I killed them all except a few here and there verse 19 now wherefore then did you not obey the voice of the Lord but thus flies away the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. So here Samuel, still getting on to Saul for what he did. And Saul said to Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed, justifying, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way of the Lord sent me, and have brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed all the Amalekites. I destroyed everything, he said. He's still trying to justify his life. But the people took the spoil, the oxen and the, and the chief of the things which should have been utterly, uh, been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in, in Gilgal. So Saul did what? He blamed somebody else for his mistakes. He was king. He should have said destroy everything, but he allowed the people and he blamed the people for it. So and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. That's a lesson that is hard for people, I think. It's hard for me sometimes to believe that we can fudge on what God has said to do. Uh, do we do that? Do we fudge ourselves? God says He would rather have obedience than to have a sacrifice. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as the iniquity of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected you from being king. 
I said earlier that he made two mistakes. The second one he could not get past. Because of his justification, because he did not listen, he made the wrong choice and he lost his job. We have a job to do too. We have a job given to us to build a temple. Are we going to make the choice that Saul did and justify us not doing it? We walk away. I mean, I've seen people, I've been in the church 50 years, some years, saw a lot of people walk away, given an opportunity. But they made excuse. Um, I've seen people even right here make an excuse for why they do what they do. They blame somebody else. It's just an excuse of not wanting to follow what God has given to us. The second thing that we should not do, point two, is making excuses. So the first thing is self-justification, and the second thing is excusing what we did. So they're kind of in the same category. But you self-justify what you do, and then you make an excuse for why you didn't do it. Luke chapter 9. The book of Luke chapter 9. And we'll begin in 57. Luke 9, 57. And it came to pass that as they went on the way, as Christ and his disciples, a certain man said to the Lord, uh, I will follow you wherever soever you go. And Emmanuel said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the man said to him, and another said to unto another, Follow me, Christ said to another. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. He's making an excuse for not wanting to follow Christ. He got the opportunity. We're given that same opportunity to follow Christ to bury my, my father. Emmanuel said to him, Let the dead bury the dead, but go you and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me go first and bid them farewell, which, at home, which is at home in my house. And Emmanuel said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You cannot make an excuse when you're given a job to do. Abraham didn't give an excuse. God told him to leave his country. He left. Noah didn't make an excuse. God said, go out there and build a boat out in the middle of the desert. There's no lump of water. He went and built a boat. It took 120 years. But he built the boat, and he trusted God. No excuses. He could have said, it's a desert. There's no water. He just did the job. Again in Luke chapter 14 now. So we can see here in, nine, in verse 62 of, of 9 that we cannot look back. We cannot go backward. We have to continue to go forward. Luke 14, verse 16. Then said unto him, A certain man made a great soup supper, 
can bid many people, speaking of God, what he's doing, and sent his servants at supper time to fetch them that bid, that were bidden. Come, for the, all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuses. Are we asking yourself? You asking yourself when you think of these things, do I find a way to make an excuse to do what I'm told to do? Um, the first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I've moved someplace else. I got this land, you know, I've got to take care of this land. I bought a piece of ground, I must go and see it. I mean, I've got to see what I bought. I, I, I don't have the time to go and do what I'm supposed to do. I pay you, I pray you, have me excused. Are we going to tell God we shouldn't want to come to the wedding supper? Do you find an excuse not to study, not to pray, not to fast, not to support each other? Paul told us, don't forget the assembling of yourself together, even the more so as you see the day approaching. Can we make an excuse why we do not meet together? Another said unto him, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I must go prove them. Pray you excuse me. So I bought a brand new car. You know, there they had oxen. Here we have a car or a tractor or a truck or something that's going to do some work. I've got to go out and see if this works like I want it. But, but you need to be here with God's people. So he said, excuse me. Uh, Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Well, you're supposed to have a year of vacation, you know, a year off. You can't do anything for a year. I've got to spend the time with my wife. What's more important? Is it more important to do God's bidding or to be married? And so the servant came and showed his Lord these things, and then the master of the house being angry. Can you imagine what God's going to be like if we start making excuses for what He wants us to do? He being angry said to His servants, Go quickly into the streets and the lane and the cities and bring in hither the poor and the named and the halted and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded. So who is God called today? First Corinthians you know, chapter 1. God calls the weak and the poor and the base because those that were of great importance, it was more important for them to do something else. We don't want to make excuses for not doing what God has asked us to do. So we don't want to justify what we did and we don't want to make excuses. We just need to do what we need to do. If you look in Hebrews, I had that marked out a while ago. Go to Hebrews 11. We'll come back to this again. 
go to verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which should, not, should afterward receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whether he went. Abraham didn't make an excuse. Abraham just did what God asked him to do. Verse 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive and was delivered as a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had made a promise. So, we can't make excuses. We just have to do what God tells us to do. Abraham did it. He never received it, but he was promised it. We're receiving right now. We live in the, in that promised land. So we can't we can't justify what we do, and we cannot make excuses. The third thing that we have to think about in order to be willing to give our life for something, ready to die for something, is the third thing we cannot be become or being I got wishy washy or two ways of life. We can't have our cake and not eat it. You know, we can't throw it up or whatever. We can't be wishy washy. We can't have our on the appearance of we're doing it God's way and on the other side we do something different. So if we go to, we can't be church attending and worldly people on the same side. I keep being brought to me the fact that we can't have good fruit and bad fruit on the same tree. It has to be always good. We cannot be two-sided or two ways of life. 1 Kings 18.21 Here we find in 18, the whole chapter there is talking about how the people were worshiping all kinds of things. Elijah came, um, had them uh, come together, and he said, And Elijah came to the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If God be the Lord... The Lord be be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Because these were living two ways of life. They were calling themselves Israelites, but they were being following Baal. They said, we were following God, but we're following Baal. Is that what we should be? I'll read this, I'll read this from... Second uh, Kings chapter 17, verse 38. And I'm, this is from the Good News Bible. And you shall not forget the covenant that I've made with you. You shall obey me, the Lord your God, and I will rescue you from your enemies. But these people will not listen, and they will continue to follow their old, con- their old customs. Here were the people that were coming to God, but following their own customs. 
We just listen to sermons that you cannot recover old worldwide. You have to go forward. You can't live two ways of life. You can't live in the, his, the past history of worldwide and live in the world today. And so, verse 41, And so these people worship the Lord, but they also worship their idols. And to this day, the descendants continue to do the same thing. So here in Second Kings 17, it's saying that here Israelite was worshiping, were doing two ways of life. You couldn't tell one day what they were going to do or the next day what they were going to do. It just depended on the day. You have to be fixed and committed to this way of life. You can't be two-sided. You just can't live that double life. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Christ saying to the people, No man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't live a double way of life. You can't be double-sided. You have to obey all the way. Again, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Paul was inspired to write, Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether sin to death or obedience to righteousness. You cannot sit on the fence. You either have to go God's way or the other way. You can't live two ways of life. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Another example of having two ways of life. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21 and 22. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of Satan or the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He is? We can't live. Paul was inspired to say, you just can't live this two-way of life. You either got to get on the, on the bandwagon or get off. 2 Corinthians 6, another example. 2 Corinthians 6, Beryl brings this out from time to time. Verse 14 through 16. Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You can't be God's people and people with others. You can't be combined. You can't be in contact. I found that myself. I made that mistake of being in business with an unbeliever. It doesn't work out. 
it never works out. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? So you can't be intermingling all the time and having... Yes, you, we live in this society and we have to meet and be with people, but you can't uh, fellowship in, in a real close fellowship with unrighteousness. And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Bile? Or what part has he that believes with an infidel? Somebody that does not believe. What part can you have with that? And what agreement has the temple of God, which we know her bodies is the temple of God, with idols? That's why the Ten Commandments tells us can't have idolatry. You can't have any other God but God. You can't create a, uh, make any kind of an image. You can't take his name in vain. You, you cannot make these two things. You cannot be the temple of God and and be in the temple and have idols. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. If we want to be God's people, we can't be Satan's people either. So you, you have to take and study and show yourself the right way. The final example that that I bring in this point of being wishy-washy or living a double double standard or double way of life is in Revelation chapter three. Here I'm going to bring fifteen and sixteen. Christ said to the people, "I know your works, that you are neither hot." nor cold, or cold nor hot. I would that you'd be cold or hot. I want you to be one way or the other. They just can't stand to have a double-sided or double-minded person. <coughs> so because you are lukewarm, it means you, you're kind of sitting on the fence, you got your feet in the world and you're feeding God's way of life. So you can't do that. You can't be lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. So I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Where's the church today? It's scattered everywhere. And there's all kinds of ideas of who should be and who shouldn't be or whatever. We as people, as in the church of God, we want to be what God wants us to be. We want to be like Rahab, Esther, Mordecai, Abraham. There's a lot of people that we want to be like. I said we go back to Hebrews 11 and we'll go through a little bit of that. This is what God wants from us. Verse 3, Through the faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, and so that the things which are seen were made, are not made with the things which are appear. By faith, Abel 
offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So we want to be like Abel. We want to sacrifice our lives like Abel. A better offering. Five. By faith, Enoch was translated and was found uh, that should not see death and was not found because God translated him for the for his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Is that what you want in your life? To please God? By faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here's what God expects. If we're going to die for something, it must be for God in God's way. And you can't do it unless you're diligently, really wholeheartedly seeking Him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen, yet moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house. Noah believed it. Noah not only believed it, he went out and put his life into it. He didn't, he didn't justify himself. He didn't find an excuse. And he didn't walk the fence. Abraham, we already went there. He believed God. He believed God more than once. Abraham, when God said, take and kill your son, what did he do? Did he justify it? That this is the man that you had said? You told me that you will make a nation out of Isaac. So I can't go out there and kill him. So he didn't justify not killing him. He didn't make an excuse. And he didn't walk the fence. He just said, okay, you made that promise. I don't know how you're going to work it out, but you'll work it out. Go on down, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having been, have seen them afar off, were promised, persuaded of them, and embraced them, and con- confused that they were strangers, confirmed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's where we are today. We are constantly being brought and said that there's a better way of life. That if we just will follow Christ, that's offered to us. And we are no more than they were. We are pilgrims and strangers on this earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, God's country. And truly, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. You know, we can return back to where we came from. If we lose sight of where we're going, 
then we will not have the fortitude or the strength to die for what God has asked you to do. Now, you might not die. You might have to suffer like Micaiah, be put in jail and finally wound up dying sometime. And many others, as it goes on to show, the bread down here. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly whereof God is not ashamed to call, be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God's offered to us. You know, it's, it's really amazing to me that all the people that I've known in, in my life that were in the church and out of the church, a number of them gave their life and a number of them walked away saying, I know where the church is, but they walked away. If we do like Saul and we don't follow God, he might allow us back, give us a second chance, but he won't give you a third chance. I think when worldwide collapse, God has given to us a second chance. We're in that second chance of doing things the way God wants to do it. And you cannot come to the point to be willing to die for your faith if you are not putting the time daily, every day, into prayer, Bible study, and staying close to God. It just it will not work out. So you have to ask yourself, I'm asking you to go back and go in some of these stories, uh, read about the people, think about it as you read it, See what made them committed to do what they did. And ask yourself then, am I ready to die for Christ? Because it could come to that point. It could come to that point. But God has this in mind for you. There is a better way of life, just like it says here in Hebrews. There is a better way of life that's offered to us. Are you ready to die for Christ? That's it.